Esteemed Champagne House Veuve Clicquot, known for celebrating boldness, creativity, and entrepreneurial spirit, turns the spotlight on female business leaders with the Veuve Clicquot Bold Woman Award, an international program dedicated to supporting female entrepreneurship and identifying future role models who embody the brand's founder, Madame Clicquot's courage and business savoir-faire. In 1805, Madame Clicquot demonstrated great courage and tenacity when she took the reins of Maison Veuve Clicquot after the death of her husband at a time when women could neither work nor hold a bank account. The winners will travel to Reims, France for a three-day immersion. Registration for the ninth edition of the Veuve Clicquot Bold Awards in Canada will open on September 2022. Right, and so I think there's a lot of, we're gonna empower women and we're gonna hold conferences and it's like, no, just write, write a check. Write a check and, and let women built in the way that we let men build. We need less mentors and more sponsors, right? Mentors are people who give you advice. Sponsors are people who go into the, the boardroom and say, she's awesome, give her that promotion, hire her, invest in her. That's what women need. We need action versus lip service. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? You've seen them everywhere. The Insta-friendly array of kitchenware pans that seem to sell the culinary conundrums that home cooks battle every evening. But beyond making our lives in the kitchen a lot easier, Shiza Shahid's LA-based company, Our Place, has inevitably ignited meaningful conversations around how we interact and talk about food by inviting others into the kitchen. Building a mission-focused company isn't new to Shiza. Before Our Place, the Pakistani entrepreneur co-founded the Malala Fund alongside Nobel Peace Prize laureate Malala Yousafzai to provide better access to education for girls around the world. She also built her own investment company, Now Ventures, that focused on supporting mission-driven and women-founded startups. Throughout her career, Shiza has devoted herself to not only creating more seats at the table, but to building bigger, more inclusive ones altogether all in an effort to provide others, women and people of color in particular, with a voice and opportunities of their own. In today's episode, Shiza joins me to discuss her fondest food memories, her experience building Our Place, and the best way to support other women entrepreneurs. Hi Shiza, how are you? Hi Lance, I'm well, it's so good to see you. It is so good to see you. I'm super jealous that you're um, zooming in from LA where I'm in frigid Toronto right now, but um, it's so nice to be chatting. We've spoken before and it's um, now, you know, only this time it's for the podcast and on two of my favorite topics being entrepreneurship and food. So I, I'm just super happy and excited to be chatting with you again and seeing what's new. Me too. Me too. I loved getting to spend some time with you in Toronto and We've got to find a way to convince you to fly to Los Angeles so we can cook a meal together. I am ready to book my flight anytime at this point. Um, well, you know what? I refuse to do this interview remotely, so I'm yeah. going to hang up now and wait until you get 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I want to talk about, um, as I mentioned, entrepreneurship, your experience building the company, and of course, food, how that brings us together. Um, but just quickly, for the, the people in the back who might not have seen the Instagram ads or have a friend that has gushed about the product, um, can you just give like a brief one or two sentence kind of elevator pitch on um, the company? You know, what is it and how does it make our lives better or more fun and easier? Absolutely. Um, my favorite topic. So Lance, <laughs> well, I think it, it really begins with with my own story, with really all of our stories. Uh, for me, um, I'm an immigrant. I've lived in many different parts of the world. I grew up in Pakistan and now I live in Los Angeles and um, my partner is also an immigrant. And and for us, we, we really found our place in America by cooking and sharing food and having people come over and arguing over whose cooking is better. And um, my personal experience is one of finding belonging and community and meaning um, and creating space for myself and my identity um, around the table. And I think that that rings true for so many of us when we think back to our most important memories. They're very often in the kitchen, at the dinner table, sharing a home-cooked meal, breaking bread together. There's something incredibly foundational about that. And you know, I always say, if you come into my home today, I, I grew up in Pakistan, but I've lived in the U.S. for over a decade. And in many ways, I, I feel almost, you know, Californian. I'm in my, my jumpsuit, speaking English as fluently as I do my native tongue, Urdu. But when you come into my kitchen, you won't just know who I am. You'll know who my grandmother was. And that is really the power of home cooking. It is fundamentally linked to where we came from to what happened to us, to what we did with that, um, to the issues that we care about, immigration and food justice and equity and belonging and community. And, and that's what our place is. Our place is a brand that's about culture and connection. The way that we bring that to life today is by making it easier to cook and share a meal with whoever you call family. So that is really the first expression of our mission, um, although that's certainly not where the brand um, ends. Uh, because there's so many ways to connect and gather, and we plan to make all of those more accessible, more joyful. And we started with, you know, a very simple idea. Um, everybody needs to eat. Everybody who eats needs to cook. And most of the cookware in the market is incredibly complex. And, you know, every kitchenware brand out there is selling thousands of SKUs. You know, you walk into any kitchenware store, there's a 16-piece cookware set that you'll be told is your number one essential and you know i had grown up with two pots around one and a flat one and you know i'm making some pasta some biryani frying some eggs and we really sort of challenged that idea of well can't you make one pan that allows you to do most things and that's where we came out with the always pan which was one pan that replaced eight and was really beautiful really easy to use non-toxic and just made you want to cook you know that resonated with so many people uh, that we realized we'd really sort of hit on something that people were craving in terms of product design. We've taken that same approach in one category at a time are just making it easier and more joyful to cook and share a meal. Yeah, I, I love the products that you put out. They're beautiful. Um, I've had a chance to use them and um, they're amazing. And as you know, as you mentioned, like food is such a vessel for conversation and like topics that are larger than just food itself you know it it nourishes it heals and it overlaps with our conversations around 
culture, heritage, self-actualization, politics, everything, right? It is so much bigger than the sum of its parts. How has food really played a role in your life other than a means as a means of sustenance? Um, yeah, food is, is so important in my life. Um, and it's, it's a complex question for me. You know, I, my mother never taught me to cook because she had grown up in a very traditional family in Pakistan at a time and place and culture where she was told she would not get to pursue her career or higher education, that her only options in life were to be a wife and a mother. She was married to my father when she was 19 years old, met him for the first time on their wedding day. And a lot of what she was told her duty was, was to cook and to clean and to provide um, from her father's home to her husband's home. Um, my mother's an incredibly strong, powerful woman, and today she runs an orphanage and her and my father um, have a, a very equal partnership. And so she definitely found her place and made her place despite all of those disadvantages. Uh, but from the beginning, she wanted something much different for my sister and I. And I think the way that she expressed her love was by keeping us out of the kitchen. Not only did she not teach me to cook, she would tell me not to come into the kitchen if she was cooking. And, you know, I think part of it was because she was, we had had a, an accident in our extended family where one of my cousins had boiling water fall on her and she had pretty severe burns. And I think part of that was what, what scared my mother and she never wanted us around if, if she was cooking with hot oil or hot water. But I think part of it was also, I don't want my daughters to have to go through life in the way that I did. And I want them to have bigger dreams. And because the kitchen and domesticity cut my dreams short, I'm gonna protect them from that. And so it was this tremendous act of love but then I moved halfway across the world with no family, no aunties to drop off food. And I couldn't feed myself. Um, I was, you know, I was eating out, I was eating fast food and I felt deeply, deeply disempowered and um, unwell and disconnected from my heritage. And I missed my mother and I wanted her food and I wanted her cooking. And so I went on this journey myself of learning how to cook. It didn't come naturally. It didn't feel like the industry gave me a way in, in terms of the tools. Yeah, everything felt very professional, European chef inspired, you know, nothing was good enough. I needed, you know, this knife and then that knife and then that pot and then that pan and then that ingredient. Um, and also in terms of representation, right? Food, kitchenware, home goods, these industries have for a very long time ignored and uh, misrepresented and co-opted the innovations, the genius of, of communities of color, right? And often painted our cultures with a single brushstroke. And so from a, a product design perspective, it felt like there was nowhere for me to go. From a content representation perspective, it felt like I couldn't see myself or my traditions and so that was really why we started Our Place, was to create a brand that celebrated all of our traditions um, and that had space for all of the different ways in which we eat and gather. Yeah, I mean, it's such a... It's such a a broad uh, arena to talk about so many different things. I actually just finished reading this incredible uh, memoir called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Have you, have you read it or heard of it? You know, I haven't, but the Our Place book club has been reading it, our team. Ugh read books together. And so I'm behind on that one. But, it is. 
most of the team brought it. It is so good. And it's such a profound book because she uses food to talk about, you know, how as a means to discover her culture, uh, identity, personal growth. It's, it's really incredible. And it's in a lot of ways, I think something that a lot of people can relate to as immigrants or as child of immigrants, where you're trying to really connect to that culture where maybe you grew up not wanting to necessarily embrace it because either it was kind of foreign or different when you were bringing it to the lunchroom or something. And then as you grow older, you learn to appreciate it. You give yourself the agency and the the permission to embrace that. And so it's just such a beautiful exploration of that that I think speaks to so many different things. You know, in in that book, she talks so much about these like dishes that connected her with her mother and, um, you know, that were her favorite dishes growing up. What were some of your favorite dishes growing up? What is your most special memory around food and and how that, you know, built you into the person that you are today? You know, I grew up in Pakistan. And so um, it, it's a culture where food is, is very important. And I think that's true of, I would say, most cultures, perhaps all cultures, right? It's, it's one of the most universal things. It's also a place where um, there's most food is still is still handmade and it's still very seasonal um you know it's farm to table because most most places in pakistan you know refrigerated trucks are very expensive and so everything that that we ate sort of flowed with the seasons and you know there was mango season in the summer which like life stopped and everything revolved around mangoes um and Pakistan has some of the most delicious mangoes ever. Um, like I, I have not tasted a better mango in my life. And, you know, there's rituals around the foods that we eat and, you know, parties. And, you know, one of my favorite ways of eating a mango is this like very social uh, way of eating it that's also very messy. It's like you, you take a mango and you kind of like whole and you just it's a specific type and you just squish it with your hands inside the skin, this everything's sealed. And it almost becomes this like pulpy juice. And then you like remove the top and then you like suck that juice out of, right out of the skin. So it's like a mango juice pack, but inside the actual <laughs> mango. And then another one of my favorite traditions was just um, roti, fresh roti, fresh bread. So mm. you know, twice a day, we would take flour and water mix it together and make bread, fresh flat, uh, flat bread. And it was never, it was never old bread, but it always had to be made right as you were sitting down. And so just sort of the, you know, on the one hand, it's so simple as flour and water. On the other hand, you know, there's the decadence of we're not going to make this yesterday. We're going to make it right now. And like the moment it comes off the stove, you get this piping hot, fresh bread um, and the care and the love and the attention to detail of that. So a lot of my memories of growing up are around food and just taking the time to cook, the time to enjoy versus, you know, a lot of how I spent my college years and my early years in, in the U.S., which was take out eating out of boxes in front of the TV. And I think the root of so much of the disconnection that we feel today, and in fact, so much of the lack of wellness that we feel today comes from not taking a moment to make something with your hands, know where it comes from and share it with someone you love. And that's why at our place, we're not about making you into the best chef or teaching you how to make a really complex, perfect meal. It's just make something with your hands, 
source it thoughtfully, share it with someone you love. And what else, what else is there, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I've noticed, you know, the brand has really taken a stance in terms of uh, not being afraid to speak on its values and its mission, its purpose, in terms of what's going on in the community. The kitchen and food in particular has been used as a way to talk about bigger things through the brand. How do you think that the way we talk about food and cooking can be an act of activism and or protest? Yeah. I mean, how could it not? You know what I mean? Like, for us, it's almost like we never went in saying, you know what, we're going to talk about reparations uh, when we talk about vegetables, right? And But it's like, how do you not? Because when you start to have a conversation about a recipe, the next question is, well, you know, where does this recipe come from? Who taught us how to cook in this way? And then mm-hmm. where do the ingredients come from? And who taught us how to farm in this way? And are th- have those people and their contributions been acknowledged in how this recipe is now popularized and are they in fact able to continue making that food in the ways in which everyone should be able to access fresh and healthy food and so for us we never set out to say you know what we have an agenda and the agenda is going to be further through food for us it was just we're talking about food and and we just are brave enough to follow the conversation where it leads yeah. And when when there is something that we can uniquely say that can contribute to a conversation, then we're going to do that. Right. And, and what, when is it our place to use our platform? And so, and so that's what we've done. And, you know, you, the food is inherently connected to everything, our identities, our lands, our ancestries, our histories, our innovations. And food has been used as a as a way of protest for a very, very long time as well. Right. And yeah. Um, you think back to, you know, the women in the civil rights movement who who would feed those who were protesting and, you know, the people who still do that today. Um, you know, one of our, our wonderful team members, uh, Guyana, who's on our product team um, at our place, she actually started a nonprofit called Fuel the People, uh, where she and her co-founder go out at protests and feed protesters. Um, and so that work has always been happening. It's still happening. Um, And it's just all deeply interconnected. Now, just flipping to your experience building our place, you know, can you tell me about Uh, you know, building your company, what was that like for you? And how did you advocate for yourself as a founder and uh, ultimately for your vision? Yeah. Um, Building our place is the most beautiful, most rewarding, most joyful, most difficult thing that I have ever done. It's certainly very hard to do what we do. Um, We have a big vision. We're doing things differently. People who look like us and have our backgrounds typically do not get to build businesses in this industry and so it's it's not without its challenges um you know i think for me it's a couple of things one is i i don't go into the world expecting fairness you know i know that people will walk into rooms um, with investors who look like them who they um grew up closer to 
and probably get a check a lot easier than I will. That's okay. I'm willing to fight harder for it. It's not okay. It's not how it should be. But I'm, for me, I focus on, on doing what, what is needed to bring our vision to life. There is unfairness in, in, in the world, and that, that is something that I've always known. Um, it's something I've worked to try and combat personally, whether through my work for girls' education with the Malala Fund, um, or my work as an angel investor, where I've invested in women-founded businesses and done my best to, to support them. You know, for me, I try and focus on, on knowing that it's gonna be a fight and it's not gonna be easy. And what drives me is, is this incredible love and belief in, in what we're doing and, um, and in the team. You know, I get to build our place with a really incredible team and we do this together. I don't do this alone. Um, and having that group of people that you're building with and that real sense of this is a mission that we're working towards and that's really all that matters, that that allows us to push through. Um, yeah. I guess all of that to say, you know, if, if you're building something, it will be hard. And, and having a sense of mission that drives you when things are hard as they will be and having a group of people that you can count on, that you can lean on and that you can fight for and with will help you get through those, those obstacles. Yeah, and just going back to your previous note, I mean, your resume also shows that you're the co-founder of the Malala Fund and now Ventures. What did you take from those experiences that helped you really set your course ahead for what you're working on now and what you're working on, going to be working on down the down the road? So when I started the Malala Fund with Malala Yousafzai and, and her father, Zerodin, um, I was the founding CEO and built that organization with them. And today it does some incredible work around the world, helping girls in some of the most vulnerable communities in the world get an education. Um, for me, I, I learned a lot from that experience, but I think specifically one thing I really took was the power of, of a story to shift culture and, and inspire change. And I think, you know, Malala's story, her courage was such a source of hope for so many people. And very often when we hear statistics, we can get deeply overwhelmed. You know, 130 million girls around the world are out of school. You know, millions more suffer unspeakable violence. Those statistics can overwhelm us and they can shut us down. Uh, but when people would hear Malala's story and her voice, there was this direct connection to this brave, smart, brilliant, sweet girl who just wanted to go to school. And that was easy to connect with. And from there, we could give people really tangible ways to have an impact, right? To show up, you can donate, you can advocate, you can sign a petition, you can volunteer, you can write. Um, so taking a story that, that brought people in and then giving them a way to bring that to life, to make their efforts count, uh, to have an impact. I really learned how to do that in the work that I did with Malala and fundamentally, you know, our place is, is, is a place where we tell our stories today, right? You, if you go on our Instagram channels this last year, we, we told stories of 34 traditions from Noruz to Noche Buena, Diwali to Shabbat to Ramadan. Um, and we celebrated all those traditions equally loudly and joyfully. 
And when we tell our stories, um, I think the impact of that is to start to break down barriers. You know, we live in a world today where we are scared of others. We're scared of people who don't look like us. We're scared of immigrants. We're scared of anyone who feels like the other. And there is this incredible power in sitting across from someone and hearing their stories and realizing you're actually far more connected than, than you had imagined. Yeah. And breaking bread with them. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're launching this episode around International Women's Day. What do you think is, in your experience, the best way that we can support women entrepreneurs specifically and as you know, entrepreneurs and as business owners because it is not a level playing field? Um, as you mentioned, walking into that boardroom, there are preconceived notions. There's uh, bias and all that kind of stuff, right? So how would you like to have been supported as uh, someone that was building their company when you were starting? And, and what's the best advice that you can give on that? Yeah, I mean, so much. I think one thing is there's a lot of talk about empowering women, right? And I think women are empowered. They're just not enabled, right? Like, mm. I know how to run my business. Um, I know how to get shit done. Just don't stand in my way. Um, and don't impose a double standard on on me and other women that you don't towards men, right? And so I think there's a lot of, we're going to empower women and we're going to hold conferences. And it's like, no, just write write a check. Write a check and, and let women build in the way that we let men build. We need less mentors and more sponsors, right? Mentors are people who give you advice. Sponsors are people who go into the, the boardroom and say, she's awesome. Give her that promotion. Hire her. Invest in her. That's what women need. We need action versus lip service. And then I also think we need to let women be human, right? I think there is this expectation when a woman succeeds that she's never going to mess up, that she's going to be perfect, that she's going to cure all of the world's problems and all of the patriarchy because one woman finally managed to get to an IPO uh, without people standing in her way. And building businesses is hard. Women will fail and just like men fail and be human and be imperfect. And we need to allow space for that and expect that because the, the flip side of, you know, we're going to empower women is we're going to hold them to impossible standards and wait for them to fail. And that's a lot of, I think, what, what the girl boss culture has created. And so I think, you know, invest in women, don't stand in their way, sponsor them more than you mentor them and allow them to be human and don't wait to pounce when, when one woman does mess up and point to that as an example of, of why you were right in the first place to not be giving women that space. I think those are the things that, that are top of mind for me. And, and I will say, you know, I see women crushing it every single day. Our place's team is primarily women. Uh, we're also primarily BIPOC, primarily immigrant or first gen. And, you know, I have, I mean, it is one of the most dynamic, creative, brilliant groups that I have ever had the privilege of being a part of. And so it is happening. Women are out there and they're doing it despite the obstacles. It is absolutely harder to do what we do, but they're doing it. And I think um, we just have to make more space for that. Yeah. And it's so true that like in a similar sense, when we talk about like 
racialized communities and other minority communities. It's not a monolith. One person's success or failure or experience does not speak for the rest of the community. There's such a diversity and a spectrum of experiences and worldviews and everything in there that, you know, you can't kind of just paint with the stroke of one brush, right? A thousand percent. And, and you know, as an Asian woman, I, of course I have challenges, but I, I have, I am subject to far less discrimination and bias than black women founders, right? And, and there is all of these layers of, of nuance to our identities and the ways in which um, our identities can can help give us a leg up in, in an unfair world or, or, or give us one more obstacle to overcome because the world uses them and weaponizes them. And so, so there's a lot of nuance to this conversation a hundred percent. And, and while, while I have faced challenges, I've also had the tremendous privilege of, you know, having had a, an education that I got for free from, from places like Stanford university and, and having had women and men who, who supported me and championed me. And, you know, my goal is to do that for as many women as I can and to pay that forward. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, an interesting kind of point in time as well, because we have a lot of these kind of community, I guess, moments in the year, whether it's International Women's Day or Black History Month or Pride or whatever it might be, where we do see a lot of lip service coming from the community, especially the corporate community, where it's, you know, all about empowerment and all these kind of pledges and statements. But really what it comes down to is like, are you going to cut the check or not? You know, and like, that's kind of really what comes what it comes down to, because, you know, at least we're having these conversations, but it still needs to go further and it still needs more work and, and more actionable impact. Yeah, it cannot be a marketing tactic. And and the question is, what are you willing, what are you willing to sacrifice, right? Are you willing to move over a little bit so that there's space for me to sit at the table, right? Or am I going to have to drag up this chair and like, <laughs> you know, yeah. force, force an opening here? I think these moments are important because I think our stories are often not given the space that they deserve. And if you can't see it, you can't be it. I mean, I had, I had never heard the word entrepreneur growing up and, you know, I was fortunate to get a scholarship to Stanford University when I was 18. That's how I moved to the States. That was funded by an incredible woman, a philanthropist who's become a dear friend who believed that, you know, a little girl from Pakistan, from a middle-class family, deserved to experience an education that I could never in my wildest dreams have afforded. And, and that completely changed my life. Um, and so it's, I think it's interventions like that, choices like that, to believe that someone else deserves what your children deserved. I went to the same school that her children would, would go to a few years later, right? Those yeah. are the things that, that, that bring real change. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and there's this conversation between like, you know, I just had another interview where we talked about the difference between equality and equity and like the nuances between that and where you take in another person's kind of lived experiences and factor that into the equation too. And part of that is also talking about the experiences of people during the pandemic, obviously, another big point of conversation throughout the pandemic is how we can support parents in the workplace, because that's been a huge challenge, especially for women who often end up taking the brunt of the at-home responsibilities. How do you think we can better support parents based on what we've learned from the past years, based on how you run the company and what you've seen in the community of the other businesses that you look up to or respect? You know, the pandemic has certainly had a very negative impact on so many people, you know, girls, women, mothers, communities of color. 
you know, as as businesses, as workplaces, it's become even more important that we need to we need to build places that allow people to thrive um, fully, right? And and for women and men, that means work, that means family, that means hobbies and interests and personal goals and children. We at our place um, have built a team of the smartest, most creative, most brilliant, most compassionate people we could find and brought them into this, this incredible Our Place community of ours. And there is no way that we could do that or retain that amazing talent if we weren't building a place that allowed people to thrive as their whole selves and that considered the realities of, of being a working mother or a working father or a caregiver in, in any other way. So many of us look after our parents or other family members who are who are unwell or, or who need support. I think, you know, remote work has helped in offering that flexibility. Um, at the same time, I think connection remains incredibly important. So at our place, we'll try and organize, you know, dinners when it's safe, we'll cook together, we'll you know, have retreats of so really fostering those moments of connection because, you know, for parents who are working from home where their children are, remote work can be a blessing. It can also be really hard to get work done when your children are running around and you don't have childcare. So creating options that take into consideration people's unique circumstances. Um, you know, we have our upcoming company retreat for the first time and uh, where everyone is going to be together. And, it was designed for uh, the team. We were very excited to do more with spouses and families, but this specific retreat was designed just for team members. But of course we have certain team members whose children are small and they can separate from. Well, great, we'd, we'd love to, you know, we're figuring out how to make sure that they can come and that their families can be included. And so I think a lot of what we try and do is understand that there isn't a one size fits all solution, that not all mothers are the same, that not all fathers are the same that there is a you know of course things that that are incredibly important that we've provided from day one like um you know maternity and paternity leave and nursing rooms and you know flexibility but also just being there to understand um what's going on in your team members lives and finding ways to be flexible to understand that these things are important um and to make room for people to live more fully integrated with their work that's something that we're constantly doing, constantly listening, constantly asking questions and, and just trying to get better with. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, what does impact mean to you? Um, how do you define it and measure it? And where do you think you've made your biggest impact? You know, impact for me is it's not one thing, it's everything, right? And I, I think when we look at our place and how we've thought about impact, I think of it as impact 2.0. And so Impact 1.0, in my opinion, was, you know, sort of the Tom's Shoes model, right? Where it was, you know, you buy a shoe, you get a shoe, uh, you give a shoe to somebody in need, uh, the, the one for one. And I think those models were really important in making the consumer aware that, in fact, they had a choice to support a brand that perhaps more closely aligned with their values. However, consumers, of course, are are, are savvy as they should be. And then they ask the questions of, well, okay, you know, great that, you know, you, you buy one, you give one, but what about your environmental footprint and, you know, your, your diversity, your culture, the materials you use, right? Tell me 
about the real impact of this business and the choices it's making. Yeah. And so at our place, we think every choice is a chance to do a little bit better. We're certainly not perfect, but we try really, really hard. And to us, that means everything from, you know, the composition of our team and the culture that we build, the materials we use. We use a portion of recycled materials in making our products. We also package our products in fully biodegradable materials that have been designed to minimize waste. We offset our carbon footprint. We've been doing that from the first year in business by supporting reforestation projects. We source our products thoughtfully and sustainably. In fact, most of our products today are sourced from women-owned factories and collectives. We give back on a range of issues from food justice to immigration reform. For us, we're really thinking every choice is a chance to do better. Who's in front of the camera? Who's behind the camera? What are the words we're using? What impact do those words and images have on culture and who feels seen? And that's how we think about our business. And we're always trying to do better. We're always trying to be better and, and learn and grow from there. Yeah, great. Um, so obviously on our podcast, we really talk a lot about impact, mission, purpose. So what is your mission at the end of the day? What's the bigger picture for you and for you as a company? For me personally, you know, I was born into a life where the opportunities that I have today should never have been available to me. And I know that many women in my country do not get to go to school, let alone pursue their careers, build businesses. So I feel very grateful for, for the life that I was able to create, but I also feel a sense of responsibility to to look around the table and see who's not there and, and make it a little bit easier for them to have a seat at the table and, and to use that platform to do things differently. Our place is, is my manifestation of that. And it is a business that is rooted in building a bigger table and making it easier for people to share meals and break bread together and feel seen and exchange stories. And so that's what we're doing, really one meal at a time. It's literally in our in our name, our place. Whose place is it? What does it mean for a place to be truly ours? Is it our place to speak up? Who's welcome at our place? These are the questions that are sort of inherent to our very existence. And we ask them through the work we do, the recipes we write, the products we create, um, and the stories we tell. Yeah, I, I love just all the different ways that you can derive meaning from you know, our place and just, and what that can mean to you and, and the diversity of different meanings that that could apply to from a person to person, you know? So, well, thank you so much for the chat. Um, hopefully next time it'll be at a dining table or at a restaurant or something. Um, I cannot wait. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and, um, and the work that you're doing through the company. Lance, thank you so much. I always love chatting with you. I am sitting at my dining table, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, we're not breaking bread together. So we have to make that happen next time. And uh, I look forward to just continuing to exchange stories. Food has always been a powerful way of exploring things beyond its function as a means of sustenance. Think about the best meal you've ever had or your fondest food memory. Chances are they involved being in the company of others by breaking bread and engaging in long-held traditions. Food is culture. It brings people together, cements our most cherished memories, promotes powerful dialogue, and forces us to ask important questions about ourselves and our communities. 
Through her company, Our Place, Shiza is exploring what it means to take our respective places within our communities, to take a seat at the table, break bread together, and ask why things are or aren't the way they are. And beyond that, she's showing others what it takes to grow a thriving, impactful, and thoughtful company today, one meal at a time. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?